everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me is the legend himself, Mr. Steve Cherudolo. Steve, good to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to start with your new gig. You've been doing uh, some Bundesliga play-by-play for ESPN+, Plus, which I've very much been enjoying. Uh, how did that come to be? How have you enjoyed it thus far? And what's been the hardest part about getting used to calling live soccer? Well, I, I really enjoy it, actually. It's been a lot of fun. Um, anytime I can I can sit down and watch a game and um, and talk about it and not just write notes and cut video, um, it's certainly a pleasure to me. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your second question, that's, that's purely it. It's it's really being spontaneous about, um, you know, um, saying what you see or explaining what you see. Um, and, you know, as a coach, you have the time to, to, to stop, to reverse, to cut, and to look at the scene a few times and, and to cut it up and animate it before you would show it to your players or, or a player for that matter. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's more spontaneous. You have, to, you have to be, if you're ready to go right at the minute, you, it's live, so you could miss something. Um, which is great as well. So I've enjoying much of it. And are you all doing it remotely? Because if so, I'm wondering how hard it's been to kind of figure out the timing of when to speak and when to stop. Uh, well, there's, there's two ways. There's, there's, there's studios in Cologne where we meet um, and do the games. And we're in obviously separate studios. Uh, and then we have cameras set up so we can see each other um, calling the game. And then um, also from home, I'm just sitting in my laptop. And then I have no video from other people. So um, it's a bit, a bit of both, and yeah, it takes getting used to, but I think I think it works out now, and hopefully the fans haven't noticed too big of a difference. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, and I think uh, it's probably been more enjoyable than, say, working for Schalke. Uh, not a fun time for them. They started the season with two losses, 8 no to Bayern, 3-1 to Werder Bremen. Haven't won a league game since January. Now David Wagner is out. Do you think it was time for them to make that change? I think so. Um, I think um, you know they obviously wanted to go into the new season with David Wagner and, and give it another go. Um, they have the additional um, hindrance of, of being financially strapped right now. They're in, they're in big debt, and so they weren't able to do much on the transfer market, and they had to bring their loan players back. Um, so there was a lot of things already going against them. And I think you know for for the staff and well, at least for the front office and the fans. After a seven-week preseason, um, to have a performance like that at Bayern Munich, I know it's a tough draw for your first game in Munich, but the performance was not good. And let's be honest, they could have they could have conceded 12 goals and not just eight. Um, to have after, like I said, an eight-week preseason, a performance like that, and then a week later, I get the team in a very similar situation as Werder Bremen to have a very similar performance as far as mentality um, and tactics go, it's just very disappointing. And then the nightmares from the previous season come about, and that's where you just kind of have to say, all right, enough is enough. Uh, let's cut our losses uh, early and try our luck with a new coach. And that new coach is uh, Manuel Baum. He's taken over. I know very little about him aside from what Wikipedia has told me, which still is not very much. How familiar are you with him? Yeah, Manuel Baum um, is a coach who uh, started his career um, in the south, he's from the south of Germany, and his first professional job was at, at the Augsburg, and he was, uh, you know, a coach who, who brings a lot of uh, emotion uh, into the game from the sideline and onto his players, somebody who likes to, to change the dynamic or affect the dynamic of the game through those emotions, um, you know, as far as his work goes on the, on the pitch, on the training field, um, I cannot comment on that because I wasn't there on a day-to-day basis, but you know, recently he was uh, in charge of the under-18 national team here in Germany, 
and then my recent uh, involvement in the national team program here has um, um, brought us together as well. So um, I think he's a good coach. I think he uh, is definitely somebody when it goes to motivating the players and getting the X's and O's right, he's the right guy for the job. Only time will tell if he's the right man for this particular group of players, which seem to be looking from the outside in, uh, which seems to be a tough job. And from what you know, what do you expect from him tactics-wise? Do you think it'll be pressing, sitting in, uh, trying to play possession, or do we just not know yet? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very much about um, you know, 1v1 battles over the field and, and putting pressure on the opponent and causing mistakes, so stressing the opponent and causing mistakes. I think that was his style in Augsburg. I think that's what he feels comfortable with. That fits his personality. So I think there's, there's more to see there. That um, traditionally also aligns pretty well with Schalke's philosophy as a club. Uh, Rafa Honigstein, talking about this vacancy, or the potential vacancy, wrote a piece for The Athletic sort of discussing the issues at Schalke, one of which remains the idea that you kind of struggle to find German-speaking managers that are proven winners and that if they're looking for people who have that managerial experience and speak German, the list is sort of short. I'm wondering if you agree with that idea or there are some managers, aside from obvious names like Klopp, Nagelsmann, Rose, Lowe, uh, out there that you think maybe people should be keeping an eye on, like up-and-coming managers that you particularly think are interesting. I believe that... um Experience is, is extremely important, um, but I don't think it's everything. I think every team um, has its own identity, and it's important to match up that team's identity um, with the club's uh, strategic work in the transfer market and the coach. And I think the clubs who get that down and who have mm-hmm. who have that understanding um, do very well um, when, it, when it goes to deciding on coaches. Um, that would be my initial uh, answer to your question, but mm-hmm. um, I think there are plenty of German-speaking coaches who are who are fitting for the job at Schalke. In your experiences as a player, I'm going to kind of jump back and forth to you as a player to you now. Did you ever have these type of experiences where you're playing for a coach that maybe it's just not working, the situation isn't quite quite right, or more straightforwardly, you kind of know this coach is not long, uh, they're not going to be in the position very long. Like, what is that process like if you've experienced it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's a few. You know, when a coach starts, when he, when he takes over the team, yeah, it's the first few days and the first few meetings and. And more importantly, the first few decisions he makes, personnel-wise, um, are extremely important. And, and he and a coach sets his, you know, sets the tone with those decisions. And as a team, you register that, and you register pretty much every word he says in the first week. Um, so it's very important to get off to a good start, a good smart start. And sometimes, when you're speaking to a group, um, less is more. Um, and um, yes, um, I've had coaches in the past who where we knew right off the bat, okay, short-term, this will be okay, but long-term, this is probably not going to be okay. And um, sure enough, um, that's what happens. What's the difference there when you're like, all right, short-term, this we can make this work, but is it like, are there specific things that you look for that you just sort of knew right away weren't going to be good in the long? Um, I think for me, more specifically, would probably be the evaluation of players. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the most important things in a group of people, not just in a team, but a group of people in general, is to understand the, the hierarchy of the group and the natural process of that hierarchy, of building that hierarchy. And when a new coach comes in, some coaches are really giddy at just trying to make changes. 
And when you fiddle with the hierarchy of a team, um, that, that could be positive, but it could also blow up in your face if you put the wrong people in charge, because that will not sustain over time. And that certainly won't sustain in, in, um, in moments where things are not going well. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Speaking of blowing up in people's faces, let's talk mines. Uh, do you have any idea what's going on there? Uh, from my reading, the whole team went on strike after Hungarian striker Adam Sly. I apologize profusely to our Hungarian listeners. Uh, he was basically told he could pack his bags. Squad was not happy. They've now sacked their manager. Do you have much of an idea of what the issues are there? So, yeah, Adam Sly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, no problem. Um, good player, um, great guy too. But uh, yeah, that is a very similar situation as as was in Schalke and in in Bremen. Um, they've carried a number of issues over from the previous season, um, so things were already starting to to rub and and to create friction at the end of last season between the coach and the players. Um, they had a bad season. Everybody thought they were better than they had finished. Um, they were very close to being relegated, or at least playing in the playoffs or playdowns, better said. Um, so there were issues towards the end of the season, and I think a lot of people on the inside were surprised that Mainz went into the new season with with Bayer Lotte. Um And so I think from a player's standpoint, the issue that they had there when the players went on strike had nothing really to do with the um, – their performance on the field and had more to do with um, the players um, relinquishing more money um, because of the COVID-19 situation. Um, it, it had more of a financial background than it did um, a sporting background. But I think in the end, it was just one more thing that, um, you know, turned the team against the coach or put the coach out in, in a place where he was no longer able to be saved. So, um, yeah, it was more or less ongoing problems that became one too many in the end. And has there been any like uh, clarification on what the issue was, was, what the falling out was between Salai and Birlotzer? Uh No, and I don't anticipate that coming out. I, I, the only thing that I did hear of is it was it was a discussion from the club and the, between the players and the club of how they were going to deal with. Um, um, giving up a mm-hmm. bit of their salary because I see because of the the, uh, the lack of revenue, and I think this particular player didn't want to or didn't want to give up as much or not as quick, um, and the club wasn't happy with his you know with his answers, and I think they said to him that he would he would have to go to the second team because for performance reasons, which may or may not have been true. Um, I am not there on a day to day basis, so I cannot comment on that. So that's sort of uh, what has been printed here in the media. So situation sort of unstable at Schalke, unstable at Mainz, more stable with Bayern Munich. They uh, did lose a game for the first time since I think like the 1980s. They're pretty successful. Uh, there have been some questions regarding their depth. Serginho Dest choosing Barcelona probably will not alleviate those concerns. Do you think that that lack of depth or perceived lack of depth could be an issue for them? Because I'm still of the mind that this is Bayern Munich and basically until they don't win the league, they're going to win the league. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still particularly think they're our favorites. You know, one of the things that's never talked about uh, um, when we talk about Bayern Munich is their fantastic medical staff. Uh, they seem to never have serious injuries, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they have they have traditionally have had a small squad because they have a fantastic first eleven, um, which is nearly impossible to get into. 
um, and then you know a really good first 14, which is which is incredible as well. So it's um, um, and they do a good job of keeping their, their players healthy, which is the reason why they have only maybe 14 top top players because uh, they want to try to keep everybody happy. Um, but you know looking looking onto Bayern Munich and the roster at the end of the season this is something that popped in. Uh, popped up as well to me, and I and I had mentioned this uh, on on uh, on air as well that if if they do have injury issues or health issues moving towards you know moving on in the season, then I do think um, that they will struggle maintaining the pace that they've been on, um, partly due to the number of games and the shortened season as well. They're, so they want to try to keep everybody happy. The issue there becomes uh, David Alaba, who is sort of causing uncertainty at the moment. There is reporting, his his camp has disputed it, that he is asking for £400,000 a week on a five-year deal. Bayern are reportedly more comfortable closer to £300,000 per week. I don't really care about the figures as much because who knows there. What I'm wondering about is the sort of potential impact. And again, I wanted to ask you about your time as a player. Did you ever have an experience in which maybe a teammate who was pretty uh, valued within the team was like installed contracts or did want to leave? And what does what effect does that have on training, on the day-to-day preparation, and on games themselves? Can you sort of feel that player not wanting to be there? Or does that indecision creep into like overall training vibes? Um, I, not, no, not really. I, it doesn't, the jealousness, uh, the jealousy in between, between the players does not creep into the team too much. Um, at times the negotiations will affect a player's performances. Um, a lot of it has to do with his age. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, in the moment where the player is in their career, um, in this particular case with Oliver, I don't think it's affecting his performances. Um, I think he's old enough and ex- definitely experienced enough to deal with the situation. His teammates are as well. Um, Bayern Munich has never been a club who likes numbers printed about their payroll and about the negotiations. This is something that you, they like to take care of behind closed doors. So that's a bit of a surprise of how this has sort of got out of control. And I know um, that is something they're not particularly happy with at the moment. And so they're looking for a quick fix, and I assume that both teams or both sides will come together, um, you know, this week or next week, and the deal will be signed, and all parties will be happy, and everybody will be all smiles again at Bayern Munich. That, that sounds about right. They did, as I said, lose to Hoffenheim. They win uh, yesterday in the, the Super Cup, I believe it was, against uh, Borussia Dortmund. Did you think there were any sort of worrying signs for Bayern fans in that loss to Hoffenheim, or was that maybe just a sort of one-off due to fixture congestion? No, absolutely. I think there's a few things you can take out of that game. Um, anytime, and it's, it's really hard to go back to the last time Bayern Munich had lost, but I do remember a game where I was an assistant coach at Falk uh, Stuttgart two years ago, and um, last game of the season we were at Bayern Munich, and we had similar success to Hoffenheim, um, the same score and similar success in the way that we defended and scored goals, and it was um, being very compact and always putting pressure on the ball and being uh, dangerous on the counter and exposing the spaces behind the outside backs that traditionally get forward um, very high at Bayern Munich. And the center backs at FC Bayern right now with Boateng and Alaba um, are in the latter stages of their career and, uh, and maybe lack a step when we're talking about the fast strikers in the league. So that's definitely a way to hurt Bayern now is on the counter. Um, and I think Hoffenheim exposed that very well. I think Dortmund did a good job of that yesterday as well. And that's something if I'm an opponent or in the Champions League or if I'm an opponent in Bundesliga, 
I'm taking notes and I'm making sure that I'm going to be very difficult to defend on the county. I do want to talk uh, Dortmund in a moment, but since you mentioned Stuttgart, I did have a question or two about them. Uh, they're coached by New Jersey's own Pellegrino Matarazzo. They started with a win and a loss. From my understanding, they were playing sort of more uh, possession-based soccer in the two Bundesliga last season. Obviously, the Bundesliga a step up in competition. Have you seen them adjust or what have you seen from Stuttgart this season that you've liked and what do you think they need to improve? In my opinion, the adjustment to the, to the first division is inevitable. I don't think you can play the same style you play in the second division um, that you can in the first division, unless your style in the second division is, is more of a defensive stand, uh, stature. Um, then, yes, then you can implement the same type of, of soccer uh, in the top division. So, yeah, it's, it's actually really good to see and something definitely expected from a good coach, as he is, um, to adjust to the top league. Um, and it's really difficult to possess the ball against other teams. The Bundesliga, the pressing is better, the defenders are better. And it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to possess the ball if you're not going to score. So um, they've made an adjustment. Uh, they've been really tricky on the counterattack. They've been very variable. Um, they have players floating around and who are difficult to grasp for defenders, um, which always makes it difficult to, I mean, you know, when you're talking about a counter pressure system. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to get their points, you know, whether or not. They stay up or they, or they go back down. We'll have a lot to do with how effective they are on, on, on game day. Um, that's always the problem of teams who get promoted. How effective can you be? Can you um, take advantage of those cheap chances that you actually do get and you know, be good in your own box in defending? If you had to guess which coach is more likely to maybe get a, a gig with a higher-profile Bundesliga side – would it be Matarazzo or would it be Jesse Marsh? Who do you think maybe gets some looks sooner from a a team that maybe is higher up the table a little bit? I'm, I'm going to go with Jesse Marsh for sure. Um, Jesse's been in and around those systems um, as well as Matarazzi, but Jesse has proven as a head coach um, in, in Zagreb that he can coach in the Champions League. And, you know, when Marco Rosa left Zagreb, um, he left a really big hole and uh, behind him, and, and Jesse picked up right where he left off, and it's been very successful, um, and has proved that he's a fantastic coach, not only in the locker room but also on the training pitch. And uh, yeah, I think Jesse will definitely get a chance at a top club. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Is there a chance that that top club is, let's say, Borussia Dortmund? Not necessarily even for Jesse Marsh, but just because there were already, from my understanding, some questions about Lucien Favre and if he is the right fit. I know there, some of the fan base is not so convinced by him or his approach. Uh, then the loss this weekend, the loss to Bayern Munich, feels a little bit like more of the same. I'm wondering if you think he makes it the whole season. Um, I do think he, I think he will. I think um, he, he's, a, he's a very good coach, Lucien Favre. He knows what he's doing. Um, he seems to have found the right words for this really younger group um, that he has at Dortmund now. Um, it's a mix of a few experienced players um, with a lot of extremely, extremely talented young players. So I do think he'll see the season out. I think when you look at the past two seasons he's been there, the amount of goals and points they've scored have been second to none, so it's been excellent. Um, and then, um, you know, the skepticism from the fans that 
bringing on a coach like Jesse, I can understand, but only because they don't know him. Mm-hmm. I think once you get to know Jesse, I think you'll, you'll understand that he would be a perfect fit for Borussia Dortmund. Sorry, I think I've made it not so clear. I was saying it sounds like the fans aren't as convinced by Lucien Favre. Do you hear any of that concern, or do you think that that's maybe just fans being fans, and when results don't go their way from game to game, then there's frustration boiling over? Yeah, I think, well, Borussia Dortmund has traditionally been a club that they want somebody. Ever since Jurgen Klopp has left, they've, they love players. Who, our coaches are very emotional on the sidelines mm-hmm. and, um, and can kind of mirror um, the emotions of the fans. And Lucien Favre is the complete opposite of that. But um, is a very good soccer coach and has proven that he um, can get the most out of this squad. Uh, I asked you what might happen with Lucien Favre this season. I'll ask the same question about Jaden Sancho, though I feel like I know the answer because it seems like the English press and the press that have connections to Manchester United are continuously reporting that he wants to move, talks are underway, talks are ongoing. It seems as though Dortmund's response has consistently been, he is not moving, you all have missed the deadline. What do you think happens with Jaden Sancho this year? At this moment, at this moment, I, I would say he's going to stay. Um, but... Um... I think Borussia Dortmund has also been very clear with their communication. They have a set price, and if Manchester United is willing to pay that, then I think Jaden Sancho uh, will go. Um, and I think the player um, would like to go as well, but he's just as happy to stay in, in Borussia Dortmund for another year. So, um, you know, whether he goes now or in one year, I don't think it makes a huge difference for the player. He's still very young, um, and he has an opportunity to play for a title this year at Borussia Dortmund which he may not be able to at Manchester United. <laughs> I would say, as a Man United fan, will not be able to. But yeah, I, I take your point there. Uh, Dortmund obviously also employing Gio Reyna, who has been getting minutes. Uh, I'm assuming it is fun for you to watch young Americans coming through the league, as you did. Uh, I would say you kind of paved the way for some of these youngsters to be there. Uh, his father being Claudio Reyna probably helps with some of those connections as well, but he has certainly established himself on his own. Have you seen him develop from even what we saw last last year or from maybe what you've seen from him before that? Have you seen his game sort of develop further, become more well-rounded? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I had the opportunity to spend preseason with Bruce Dortmund last season and saw uh, Gio's first few weeks uh, while he was there and um, had some, had some great conversations with him. So it's fantastic to see his uh, development in just one season. And, um, and it's even better to see a coach um, give such a young player like that the opportunities that he's been given. Um, Gio has progressed. Um, um, which is incredible for a young a young man like that to to progress um, in the effectiveness. Um, you know he's been he's been good not only um, possessing the ball and making you know making uh, a connection between the midfield and the offense, but he's been setting up goals and scoring goals himself. So it's it's uh, a really really big improvement in one year. And uh, he's a smart player um, and having. Two excellent players as parents as well. Everybody talks about his father, but his mother was quite a player as well. Um, I'm, the, the future is extremely bright for him. Uh, so bright future for Gio Reyna. Who are the other young Americans that you particularly enjoy in the Bundesliga? Because there are several. I'm wondering if there are specific ones that you find yourself watching for whatever reason. Yeah, there's two more that I really enjoy watching. It's um, uh, Josh Sargent and uh, Tyler Adams. Um, you know, Tyler, fantastic uh, leader at his age already. You know, somebody who I look forward to in the future leading the U.S. national team as a captain, has a, has a really good head on their shoulders, understands his responsibility in the team, understands what it means to play uh, responsibly um, and not just flashy. And Josh has been improving as a goal scorer. 
Um, you know, last season they had a large burden on their shoulders, kind of playing mostly alone. This season, hopefully, uh, Miklas Fukuk stays healthy, which kind of takes a little bit of pressure off Josh. And I think you've seen that in the first two weeks that uh, Josh has been much better in a in a system where he has some help up there, um, and with somebody else who's making or getting some attraction from the opponent defenders and giving Josh a little more room to move. Um, and then one other American I wanted to mention, obviously you have the defensive background. Uh, John Brooks is a player who I will admit I don't watch much Wolfsburg. And when I do, it's tough to say I'm watching for a center back's performance. But he tends to be one who, again, sort of divides opinion. I hear I hear people say that he's like not in the starting 11, that maybe he's not up to the caliber that needs to be or that his coach wants. Uh, but then obviously I still think John Brooks is a tremendous defender and is our best center back option. Uh, what do you make of John Brooks? And are there things that you think he needs to work on or that you'd like to see him improve? Um, well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's playing regularly in, in one of the top leagues in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, that's enough to say really about his qualities. Um, he knows what he's doing. He's figured the game out. Um, you know, unfortunately, I do not uh, know him well enough to comment on how he is in and around the locker room. Um, but um, you don't hear anything about him, which is always a good sign as well. So, <laughs> yeah. um, he, seems, he seems to know his role in the team and, and um and I think you talk about his his game. I think he's you know his uh, his physical attributes. He's big. He's good in the air. Um, mm-hmm. You know his one v one is good. His build up out of the back is something he, uh, to be talked about as well. And I think things he needs to improve on is maybe his in box defending and the moments of the game where um, it, you know you may not be um, active um, and his work kind of organizing off the ball. Um, that could be something that is always that he can improve on, and not just John, but also many defenders. You you make a good you make a good point that like with defenders oftentimes like no news is good news like if a defender is making a high profile headline it's probably not going to be for good reasons David Luiz comes to mind but that also is sort of a testament to how hard it is to evaluate defenders in game aside from if they're making a big mistake or if they're making a big tackle which then there's the philosophy that like a slide tackle is a is a last ditch effort you shouldn't necessarily be relying on that for you a former defender now color commentator are there things that you look for when it comes to defenders to see, are they going to be good in 1v1s? Are they going to be good in this scenario? Are they keeping the line? Like, what do you pay attention to when you're evaluating defenders? Well, I think in, in the end, um, a defender needs to show me that he's willing to do everything in his power um, to not concede a goal. Um, and this is a defender's attitude, and this is something that you can't teach players. And this is why this is the first thing I'm looking for. I want players who... Who are, are willing to throw their bodies in front of the uh, in front of the ball to do everything, like I said, in their power to avoid being scored on. And then on top of that, uh, we can talk about physical attributes, speed, good on the turn, one v one, decision making inside the box, um, and cognitive values as well that we're looking for in players. They have solutions to problems that they don't necessarily have time to to plan out. So. Um, yeah, the first and foremost is definitely just being a hard-nosed defender and doing it well and being happy at being a defender. All right, and uh, final question before I let you go, or, or like paired question, I should say. We've talked about a few teams. We've talked about a few players. Are there any other teams or any other players that you particularly enjoy, either as a commentator or just watching yourself, teams that you think do interesting things, play exciting football, or players that you just tend to find yourself really enjoying? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, within the Bundesliga, I definitely love watching um, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, mm-hmm. um, coached by an ex-teammate of mine, Marco Rosa. I think his style of play is fantastic. It's 
obviously, um, he's coming up in the Red Bull or in the uh, Salzburg Academy and, and Leipzig Academy. Um, it's it's you know it's, it's defensive. It's it's a lot of pressure. It's up in your face. But he's also added a few elements with the ball that are very interesting. And um, you know, going internationally, uh, for sure, any chance I can get a chance to watch uh, Liverpool is uh, definitely worth the time. And uh, especially the last game against Arsenal, they were they were fantastic, which is something that I can actually enjoy as a fan as well, and not just as an analyst or as a coach. All right, so Gladbach, one that Steve says definitely keep an eye on. I would agree. I like Marco Rosa before I even knew he was your teammate. Now that I knew that, I like him even more. But Steve Tirandolo, thank you very much for taking all the time to talk Bundesliga with me today. Anytime.